game of basketball has taken us places we can never imagine. For winning four EuroLeague titles, playing six years in five countries, and making connections with people from all around the world. We have stories that can last a lifetime. All right, now it's time to tell yours. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, and still to this day, if I see him, he's he's glowing. I, it just came down to, like I said, looking myself in the mirror, like, brother, you really do you want to play ball or not? I've never been in an environment like Euroleague, because you know, living over here in Europe, bro, how we kings over this time, bro. Denver right. <laughs> Thuggets. <laughs> Appreciate y'all having us on here. This is Hoop Tales. What up, everybody? Welcome to another edition, a very special edition today um, of the Hoop Tales podcast. Today, we got a legendary figure, um, both on and off the basketball court. Um, you know, his name, you know, speaks for itself, his nickname, Homicide. <laughs> now, nah, I mean, you already know. So, you know, I was going to say, um, you know, a big what's up to my guy, Corey Homicide Williams. I'm coming from Melbourne. What's up, man? How's everything? What's going on, brothers? Thanks for having me, man. How y'all doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. So we're going we gonna to jump right into it, man. You, you, you're Jamaican. You know, you come from New York City. Um, but, you know, growing up, you split time between both places. So let's talk about your childhood growing up. Um, you know, between both places in, the, in both, you know, both different countries? Yeah. Um, my whole family's Jamaican. And uh, obviously the kids, you know, my parents, they came up. You know, our grandparents migrated for a better life. And, uh, you know, they ended up connecting, having us. Mm -hmm. And um, in Jamaican culture, in West Indian culture, um, a lot of times when school is out, elementary school, they'll send the kids down to be with the family for the whole summer. Yeah. You know, back in those days, I wasn't playing basketball. You know, I was a late bloomer. Like I started playing at 12. And as we know, um, you know, coming from New York, you know, basket that's basketball Mecca. Dudes is coming out the womb hooping. You know what I mean? So I had a, I, the last thing I even thought about was playing ball. My brother played for uh, Riverside and Gauchos. Yeah. So one specific summer, I didn't go to Jamaica and I was home and I was just like, man, I'm bored, man. What you, what you got going on today? He was like, I got a game. I was like, all right, I ain't got nothing else to do. Let me go with you and watch you play. And he went down to Harlem. Back in those days, you know, coming from the Bronx, you, you as young as we were, we weren't traveling to other boroughs. You know, you stayed yeah. in your neighborhood yeah. and I wasn't. um accustomed or familiar or educated enough about Harlem, which is a whole nother world in itself. So anyway, jump on the train, go to Harlem. He's playing. And it was love at first sight. This shit was an obsession. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I want to play this game. I don't know how to play, but I want to play. So already from the gate, I was a project. Yeah. Um, I was hyperactive. So I was always able to play defense. You know, guys with a bunch of energy. If nothing else, you can play D. You don't need talent or skill to play defense. Right, right. You know, so um, for me, like, that's how it began. So uh, middle school, I was a class clown. And the only way I could get attention is being a class clown. So uh -huh. back, back in those days, they would, 
if you were borderline with your grades between a CD or an F, they would basically give you a grade based on your behavior. Mm-hmm. So as a class clown, I'm always getting in trouble. So if I was borderline, it's not going to be to my favor, the, the grade. So my, my report card was all red, right? It was just, I was just bad. And uh-huh. it wasn't bad like he's doing bad stuff, like he's beating kids up, he's stealing, but it was just discipline issues. You know, my dad died when I was three, and my mother, who was an RN, um, raised us in the Bronx. So now it's time to go to high school, and I'm not getting accepted to any schools I've applied for, obviously, for all the right reasons, due to my bad grades. So I ended up getting accepted to a school called Washington Irving in the village. I go down there, and... The, the line for orientation might have had 20 kids. Yeah. 15 of them was girls. I just told you I was getting in trouble for being a class clown with the girls. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this. My mother said, oh, yeah, you think so? Okay, let's go. We got off the line. I'm like, I didn't get my ID. She said, don't worry about that. The next day, she takes me to a private all-boys Catholic school in Harlem. Graduating class is only 90 kids. I don't know where I'm going, okay? I have no idea where we're going. We go in, we sit down with the dean. This is legendary Rice High School, by the way, right? So I have no idea. I know nothing about this school. I know nothing about Felipe Lopez. I know nothing about being this being a basketball powerhouse. I know nothing about being this school is the number one high school in the nation. Yeah. I just know... You got to wear a shirt, a tie, some shoes, and some slacks, right? So I don't come from any money. So I got to go to, like, this is favor back in the days. That's basically like pay less. My mother got to go to get me to wear to this school if they let me in. So we go, we see the dean, Brother Walderman. They look at my transcript. They're like, yo, look, um, I'm sorry. We can't let your son in this school academically, he will fail. There's no way he can keep up with our curriculum based off these grades. My mother begged the dean to let her son in, paid her tuition, and the dean said, we'll put him on academic probation for the first half of the freshman year. Then we'll reassess. I had an 80 average. So clearly, it wasn't that I was not able to do the work. It was a lack of discipline. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? They, they had yeah. a dean who was strict, you know, and, at, at, and and it comes down to accountability breeds responsibility. I understood right. my mother's paying tuition out of her pocket. You know, I was so bad. Well, again, I hate to say bad, but it is what it is. Like I was, you know, having so much issues with discipline in middle school that the principal said to me, look, you've completed the courses you cannot walk to graduate, but you just know you graduated. Like, you just can't go to the ceremony. My mother took me to work that day of the graduation and sat me in the lobby. Everybody at the co-workers knew me, and they're like, yo, how you doing? Why are you not in school? And I had to explain to everybody. That was, was like, the... Um, that was almost like a punishment for you. It was, like and it was, it was disappointing. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating, and it humiliated her. And I never wanted her to feel like that again. It's just interesting how certain things um, you never forget. 
you know what I'm saying? It impacts you, whether positive or negative. So, you know, I, I remember that. And, you know, moving forward, you know, when you know your mother's paying tuition, you know, you, you, you take things a little bit more serious. You know, so I ended up, I'm in Rice High School. Now, this is the famous school. We in Harlem. We down the block from the Apollo, you know, Apollo, famous 125th Street. This is a whole nother world. And it changed my life for the better because all of these incredible basketball players, the talent that was in that school and the, the project that I was, if I wanted to be a part of this, I had to step my game up. I had to be better every day because of the talent. So if you're around nothing but fucking greatness, you know what I mean? It's going to push you be to be the best you can potentially be. So either way, if you do not achieve greatness and you started from here and you moved up, you've gotten way better yeah. due to the competition in the school. So every year, every year I got better. Um, these guys kept pushing me. You know, you're around an incredible human, Felipe Lopez. This was yeah, the guy. So, so, we, yeah. I don't have to say who he is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? was fucking LeBron before LeBron in high school, you know, and the, to, to see how humble he was and how he carried himself. He carried himself like I was carrying myself at Rice. This is the number one player in the nation. <laughs> Every, everybody you saw head coach-wise in college came to that school looking for him. Kobe came, Shaq came. These dudes don't even need to come. They in the NBA at that point. That's what I was going to say. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta paint the picture because, like, for us, we know, we know who Felipe Lopez is. But paint the picture of, like, you know, you walking into school and then you realizing, like, this is Felipe Lopez and like the reaction that other people had across the country about like who he is, and not only him, but just about New York City basketball at the time. Because not only Felipe, yeah. you had Guy Sham guy, you had Stephon Lopez. Yeah. Like, yeah. paint the picture, you like New York City basketball, like at the time when you was there, when you was coming around. I mean, um, I, I, I started 91 and 95 was my era at Rice. I'm a bit older. Yeah. Um, this was the height of basketball in New York City. You know, um, public school, they had some, some dogs there, you know, but the Catholic School Association, man, it, it, was, it was so much talent. You know, um, every school had a crew. They had about three, three or four players that can really go. This is back in the day when, your whole roster's going D1. Like, the whole team is going D1. Even Scrubs is going D1. That's the strength of the roster. You know, it was so much talent at Rice. They had a varsity B team. What school does that? Varsity B? You know what I'm saying? Like, usually you go freshman, sophomore. You go freshman, you go JV. Then you play varsity your last two years. I had to play varsity B. That's how much talent was in Rice. I couldn't even make varsity A. It's crazy. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't even play with Felipe. The varsity, my junior year, they won the city and state championship. Then my senior year, we played. And, you know, Mo Hicks took over, Maurice Hicks. He mm -hmm. was the senior coach. Gary Saunders was a senior. He was set to go with Steph to Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. I was a senior. But, again, I was a late bloomer. I didn't have any offers. You know, I was I didn't pass the SAT, so I knew I, I had to go to JUCO. My varsity B assistant coach got me a look at a JUCO in Kansas City. Wow. He came to watch me play. I balled out that game. Obviously, they took me on a, on a uh, 
on a visit. Of course, I'm a sign. That's my only fucking option. Go out to JUCO. I looked at everybody in their eyes. I said, look, I ain't good now. I ain't that good now. But I'm going to work my ass off, and I'm going to catch you. And when I catch you, I'm going to bust your ass. <laughs> it went like that. It went exactly like that. Right? Because, you know, when you're that good, and a guy who isn't that good is saying these things, it's funny. We're in high school. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny. Yeah. Like, fuck out of here, yo. I'm always bust your ass. I'm like, yeah, right. you know? Keep it moving. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we graduate, um, ended up going to Penn Valley Community College, which is a Division II JUCO in Kansas City, Missouri. So now it's a kid from the Bronx going to the Midwest. Shit is super slow. Totally different lifestyle, you know? And I knew what I wanted to do. I was focused. I knew I wanted to play ball. I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. I knew I wanted to play in the NBA. And, you know, the, the, the journey began. There's nobody holding your hand anymore. You got to figure this shit out. So I hit Juco. My freshman year, we won the championship. I got no playing time. The dude in front of me was the guy. He was an All-American. We win the championship. You can't bitch or complain. This motherfucker's legit. <laughs> you know what I mean? What can you do? You know, um, the, 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 uh, the championship game, they put me in the last maybe 15 seconds. You know, these are things that, that happen. So um, it just adds more fuel to the fire. Like, why the fuck would you put a kid in the game that's one with 20 seconds? You might as well don't put the fucking kid in. You know what I mean? Who the fuck wants to be on the court with 20 seconds left? You know? So anyway, cool. That coach leads to on the bigger and better things. The new coach comes in. I write a list down. I hit the weight room like no other. Juco's a different ball game. I'm not sure if any one of you guys ever been to junior college, but it's, that's a job. Okay. Yeah. There's no security. You have two years to show you deserve at a four year institution to get a scholarship. Yeah. Right. Back in those days, there was no social media. There was no for real internet really, to be honest with you. So there's basically not that much exposure. You really have to go to exposure camps. Hopefully you can get into it. Yeah. to get the exposure. So, again, as a late bloomer, um, I wrote down a list. I was really, I was known for writing lists. Yeah. And every day I would look at the list. These are the things I want to accomplish. I want to get back and win a motherfucking national championship because, again, I want to prove you wrong. I'll show you. That's always been the mindset. You don't believe in me, I'll show you. So, I did everything. I was first team All-American. We went back to the championship. We lost. Um, I was region 16 MVP. Like I, I, everything I wrote down, I got done. I got the opportunity to play. And I took advantage of the opportunity. When you are not as talented or skillful or seven foot or super athletic or just a natural bucket getter yeah. early, things aren't really set up for you. You have to prove way more. Right. when you aren't that talented and good at a younger age, right. right? We'll get back to that. So as the late bloomer, I ended up getting uh, an opportunity to go to an HBCU, Alabama State. I always wanted to go to an HBCU based off the fact that the one fucking thing Bill Cosby did really well was to yeah. pick African-Americans in the right way on television, right? We had him as a doctor, Claire as a fucking lawyer, 
right? <laughs> Incredible kids. You know, we had the village kid, Denise, ended up going to HBCU. Hillman was Howard University. Yeah. So watching that, seeing us like that, made me feel like this shit is dope. I want to go to a black school. That's what I called it back then. Anyway, ended up getting an opportunity to go to Alabama State. While I was hustling in, when I mean hustling, I'll tell you what hustling means for me. While I was hustling in junior college, again, I was a late bloomer. I had one year to prove myself to get worthy of a scholarship at a school that I felt was high level enough and respectable enough. Back in those days, you didn't want to go to D2, right? There's no social media. You want to go D1 or nothing. If you don't go D1, it ain't shit. That's the mindset that we were on back in those days. So I went and got those college magazines, Street and Smith's, whatever, you know, the preseason magazines, you know, predicted what these these schools are predicted, first team, all whack, whatever. I went and grabbed the book, and I grabbed every division. I would find the bottom three schools and find what point guard or two guard was a senior who was leaving. That means they need to recruit at that position immediately. I got a template. I typed it up and I put every address of those schools and every coach and I mail letters. I was literally shopping myself to schools because everybody don't know me. So let me put myself out there and mail letters to schools. I mailed probably like 400 letters, 300 letters, where, some where, shit like where, that. Where did that come from? Like, where did that, like, you just- I mean, that's grind and hustle. If, if, yeah. if, I mean, it's, it's again, I, when you are not good at a young age, okay, you have to understand how to diversify yourself. Like, you can't, I can't, I couldn't, I was never in a position for, to wait for people to find me. Right. I'm gonna let you know that I'm here, okay? That's what I had to do. Nobody ain't going to do the shit for you, yeah. right? That's that's grind. That's investing in yourself. So I did that. And the same way I got a template letter I sent out, I got template letters back. Some coaches hit me back. You know, we, we have that position available. But that's what I had to do because I'm looking at it like, for example, you go to a club. You holler at how many chicks? You ain't hitting all of them. <laughs> All you need is one or two, right? So what we doing? We cast in the net, then we fish it, and we see what's going to happen, right? But the difference is I applied that hustle to my life to better me as opposed to socially, right? So, okay, it started getting there, and, you know, I ended up um, getting the scholarship to Alabama State. I get there, and uh, it was good my junior year. You know, I averaged 16, 15 at Alabama State, which is D1. So I'm like, two more buckets, you around 20. Back in them days, listen, this is, this is you know, the, 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 the thing is that's dope about this is that a lot of times people are not real with themselves. I understood where I was at. There was no false pretenses. I'm at a mid-level school and it's small. I'm not going to the tournament, right? This is when you go play schools, you lose by like 40. Y'all having a field day against us, right? That's the type of schools we were at. 
So if you can average 20, maybe get an invite to like Portsmouth or the or one of those. Yeah. All's out from there. Like you figure you go from there. Yeah. Right? So I'm just trying to average 20 to get to where some of the elite players are to get a look. We end up losing a lot of those games in the in the uh pre pre non-conference schedule because them shits was a beast. The money games. Coach fucking gives up on the senior class, sits us down, plays a freshman. So I finish up averaging like 10 points a game, nine points a game, right? Senior year's over. I'm done, right? No agent, no big name, dream, a wash. I told my mother, Ma, I want to go pro. She said, I don't care what you do, just graduate. I said, done. I ended up getting a degree in criminal justice. I'm in the dorm. I swear to God, it goes like this. I'm in a dorm, reading a magazine, slam the Bible of basketball. <laughs> They're talking about street ball, right? So I'm like, Rucker Park, you know, we hear all the stories, you know, as a Bronx kid, you know, that's our NBA. So I'm like, fuck it, I guess I got to try to go pro from the, from the street ball, right? <laughs> so that's that's what it was. Graduated, went home. Now. The Corey Williams from 95 is not the Corey Williams from 2000. That's a different beast. He got better. He got stronger. I'm thinking about you guys every day. Because when I catch y'all every day, you guys thinking how you left me is how you remember me. So you're really worried about me? Your names are all on lists without you even knowing it. How can you prepare for a man who's ready to kill you? You don't know. You don't even know. You can't. <laughs> You're losing. Because you once you see me, you remember me as, ah, that's just Corey. He just plays defense. Yeah. Not knowing the arsenal that I have. And I've been thinking about you for four years. We get to Rucker Park and these big tournaments in New York. Nobody knows me. Nobody remembers me. And if they do, it's Corey from Rice. Right? So... I play you. We at Rucker. First game, 40. Ended that game with C Homicide. That was the name. They gave me a name as the game progressed, the name got harder and tougher. The next game after that, 40. They dropped the C. It was Homicide since. Now, how about this? I'm thinking every game, I need to keep a rep. I need to build this rep. The way y'all approaching EuroLeague and all of that, draft camps, all of that, is how I'm approaching playground mm-hmm. basketball. Why? That's all I had. Never want to see a motherfucker with nothing to lose. You will lose. Right. If you ain't, I was ready to die for it. In fact, I was ready to kill for it. That's even worse. If you ain't ready to kill for it, or die for it, move out that man way. You will lose. I guarantee you will lose. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. Four years back in my mother's house, after college, who wants to go home? You're not the same person you were. If you grew in the four years, you know what I'm saying? I'm not that person. This dream got to start. How? 
No help. Nobody's done it before me. My brother didn't love the game. He didn't go pro. Went to college. Yeah. Fucking warding his knees. Fuck this shit. Who do I have to go to for help, for advice? Nobody. Got to figure this shit out yourself. All right, I'm going to write this list down. I'm going to go to this park. It's times I'm playing three, four games a day. I got to keep going because somebody going to see me. Somebody going to see me. Somebody going to see me. Nothing happens in a fucking year. I can be a boxer. Mayweather's that nigga. Mayweather ain't thinking about me. Mayweather's the best. I'm on the card trying to trying to get there. How many years it takes for even Mayweather to even think about you if he decides to want to fight you? He ain't going to do it. So I was going to parks and gyms where you guys were at. Y'all ain't thinking about me. I'm hunting you down. I'm going to your hood. This the park y'all work out at? All right, bet. Let's go there. Yeah. Now you like, well... I don't give a fuck about this, you know, dude, whatever, whatever. You're not on what I'm on because your path is not my path. You know what I'm saying? You there already. What was dope about New York Playgrounds was the fact that we come from the park. So it wasn't uh, strange if you see a Steph Marbury at Rucker. He's from yeah. New York. We understand playground basketball. That's in our yeah. DNA. It ain't, it's nothing when you see Lance, you see Ron. The stories look incredible when you're reading it, when you're not from it. But if you're from it, you understand. High school All-Americans, college All-Americans, dudes that play overseas, pros that show up, you know, uh, street ball legends that will never make it to the pros. So it's so much talent there. It's a huge, incredible melting pot. You never know who's in town that may want to play a game. You know, and back in them days, it was dudes getting money in the street. Yeah. So dudes is paying dudes. So you got real dudes making, you know, you go to a game in Rock, you might get $1,000. Then you go to Dutchman, you might get another stack. You making money that could pay your rent, an average so guy. You understand what I'm saying? In the summer, so dudes is taking this shit serious. Then there's side bets on games. It was it was real. No, you know, got, so I, I'm just looking at this shit like it's an opportunity for me to jumpstart a career. This is just yeah. how I'm looking at street ball. That's what I was going to ask you. I got to, so most people and the, the kind of knock on New York basketball is that people's okay being a local celebrity. Like you could have been in New York and you could have like on homicide and you that would have been great for you, which, which happens a lot of times when the summers in New York, you got so many guys that like, they just content with being the hood, the hood superstar or the hood favorite. When did you kind of figure out the path was like, listen, I could be bigger than New York City and I could use this as an opportunity to kind of give me a career or put me in a position to get out of New York City? Because most people are like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm the man over at Rucker. I'm the man over at Dykeman. I'm the man at the cage. Why am I going to leave? When did you kind of like, listen, like, I'm using this to get out? In the dorm at Alabama State. You know, a lot of people that think like that, I don't believe... Uh, you can have higher education, but still not have higher education. You know what I mean? There's a lot of dudes that go to college that do the same stupid shit as if they don't even have a fucking degree. Like, they ain't got no common sense. My yeah. goal and my vision for myself was way bigger. It was just a different platform that I had to use. It was my only platform. So the way I had to approach these games, it's not leisure. You know what I'm saying? I ain't you guys. You know, so I had to, I, I took the hustle different. As yeah. far as this lane, a lot of guys that don't need the lane ain't approaching it 
like me. You know what I'm saying? You approaching the hardwood off the rip like how I was, yeah. but not playground basketball. You get what I'm saying? Like, yo, yeah, the it. way you approaching it is like, you know, guys, like, you know, you come out, you play the park, you'll be like, yo, I ain't going that hard because I don't have to. Yeah. I'm just going for a little run or whatever, you know, show love to my hood or whatever. You get what I'm saying? And then keep it moving. But when you in the gym and you in front of those fucking coaches, you going hard. So that's how I was going hard. I was just hoping to somehow one of these games, somebody see me. Fast forward, I ended up seeing a legendary coach. He died at the time named Sid Jones. He was the coach of a team called Brooklyn United, a very well-respected team in New York City. These guys were pros. They play overseas and I'm fucking killing everybody, right? So they like, yo, you got to see this dude homicide. He's dropping 40, dropping 50. He, he, this, this, this. So um, I ended up hooking up with him. And I was like, coach, man, like, they tell me you the guy. Like, I need help. I need help. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, look, uh, play with me in this tournament. I say, cool. He said, I'm not going to be there, but another coach will be there. I come, 40, we win. He did that shit like three times. Then the fourth time, he finally showed up, and I'm playing. So now I was nervous because I'm like, fuck, this is a guy that can really – this is what I've been waiting on. Dude, the right dude. opportunity for this guy to see me, and he could change it. I fucking lay an egg. <laughs> Play like shit. I was so fucking sick because I said, yo, this was the opportunity. I blew it. How could I blow this? Like, how could I fuck up and blow it like this? Say, yo, coach, man, I'm sorry, man. I said, I'm sorry, man. He was like, look, don't worry. You owe me one. But he was a matter of fact, you owe me two. Check this shit out. <laughs> so in another tournament, the cage, I played, if, if I played with him and I fucked up on Thursday, I played against him on Saturday. I had 57 on that nigga. He said, we even. Damn. <laughs> 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 leave, leave. And the first job that he got me, he said to me, summer was done. This was the first summer, summer 2000. Summer finished, and he was like, um, I, I said, Coach, look, I'll take anything. I don't care. I just, I just, I don't want to be home. And he said, look, I'm going to tell you, this ain't real basketball, but it's a job. It's better than not being home. You could take it if you want it. I said, whatever you got for me, I'll take it. Listen to this shit. I was on tour with the Globetrotters. Now, I just said I was on tour with the Globetrotters. I never told you I was a Globetrotter. Mm. I was on the team that lost to the Globetrotters every fucking night. The New York Nationals. <laughs> that was my Yo. first job. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, real yeah. shit, right? So check this. I go in the locker room. She was like, bad news bears. Go in the locker room. I got on late. Was, I swear to God, she was hilarious, right? So I got on late with the tour. And the tour was the West Coast tour, which was the greatest thing that could ever happen for me at the time. So now I'm like, I jump on the tour Christmas Day. We in the United Center, the West Coast tour. You play in the NBA arenas. So I get in the locker room, we're in Chicago. I'm like, fuck, this is Mike's locker room. You know, you see the statue. I'm like, first time I'm in the shop, I get in the locker room, team, 
Some motherfuckers is doing ads, other fat dude just chilling. Like the shit was like a scene out of like major league. I swear to God, yo. Right? So I come in, I'm like, look, we're gonna beat these dudes today. I'm telling you. They like, you could tell he's new. <laughs> First time. <laughs> yo, we lost by like 25. You cannot beat the Globetrotters because it's a show. Right. You in practice, practicing the magic circle. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so that shit they do, like, it's a show. You have to allow them to score. Those are show points. So, you know, you might play four minutes of each quarter real, but they don't play real, boy. It's a show. Yeah. So it was the most frustrating thing as a competitor. You can't win. So I had to switch my mindset. And understand, even in a situation you may not want to be in, one, is better than being home. Two, you're being paid to do something. Three, think of the best thing. Like, like it's perspective. You know what I'm saying? This ain't where I'm going to be in my life. This yeah. is just a pit stop. So embrace this situation. Have fun with it. Learn from it. Make sure you don't ever get into a space like this ever again. And keep it moving. That's no that's no different than a Hollywood fucking A-lister that made it after being in a chicken soup giving out flyers. Mm -hmm. It's all perspective. You understand what I'm saying? You got to understand what lane you are in and where you're trying to achieve. What is your end game? You know, my current situation isn't my final destination. I knew that. You know what I'm saying? I'm a nigga that got Kanye confidence yeah. regardless of where I'm at. You understand? So after that, I jumped into USBL. He got me into USBL with the Brooklyn Kings. So back in them days, I mean, if you don't know the USBL, USBL might be like damn near like the G League before the G League. It was yeah. USBL, CBA, CBA, those type of leagues. So I jump into USBL, average 20, shoot the shoot from the three, 40%. After that, over about 25 games. After that, I get a job to go to the uh, – DR to finish the season. So in my head, as an import, I'm like, all right, cool. Here's what I got to do. Win, lose, or draw. I got to average 20. 20 is always the number, right? If you can average 20, four, and four, you'll keep a job. How do you average 20 in a game? If you're import, you're always going to have a ball. I'm a point guard. I can dictate how I get distribute the ball or go. I'm a bigger, stronger guard. Back in them days, 6'3", 215, I got a big frame. So I'm going to overpower yeah. the guard that's in front of me, right? I'm one of the best penetrators in the world. That was one thing I can do. If you know a New York guard, niggas get to the rack, yeah. right? So if I'm going to play 20 to 30 minutes, a, 30 minutes a game, the whole key is to get five points a quarter. That's 20. Sounds like light work, really. About that, that is work. life work, right? Because now, if you even say you get four points a quarter, right? The way I go to the rack, I can dictate when I'm getting in the bonus or not. I can give you the ball three times, work you out. Your big man, y'all going to bang in the post. Let that foul count get to three. Mm -hmm. Two more fouls after that, we in the bonus. I'm shooting free throws. So I had to be more cerebral with everything that I was doing for lack of opportunity. You understand? Yeah. So it became more of a thinking game for me as well as playing. So I get the DR average 20. After that, I go to Brazil. So now the journey begins. 
a little farther away, a little two steps away from fucking from the, the, the globe trotter. <laughs> <laughs> every 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 stop yeah. was step was stop further. Yeah, you know what I mean. But you know, whenever things got tough, because things got tough, I was in Brazil when you know Nene played, Leandrino Barbosa played, Alex played. They had like Brazil league was tough, and yeah. that's when those Brazilians they was going to the league. So it was a good league. I ended up averaging about 18. Again, that was always my number. You know, 20, 16 to 20, if I could do that and get to the playoffs. That's the key. You can't have a losing season. So, you know, every game was a fucking grind. Just making sure, like, you know, you hype your team up. You make sure they good. You know, just 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 doing those things, just trying to jumpstart this thing. The money was shit. Obviously, you ain't got no good resume. Who gonna pay you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't care about that because I cared about building it. In the beginning, it's always about playing, staying the season, saving your little chips, get your numbers, and get the highlight tape to prove that you belong. You know what I mean? The tape is, content is key. And it started like that. The journey started, but I was always still looking forward to street basketball because I knew I was Corey Williams when I went to go play but I was homicide in the park. So my whole focus was kill the park. You can get a shot to the NBA for some fucking reason. I actually believe that when nobody got a shot to the NBA prior to that, you know, well, years later, I ended up, you know, fast forward, I was playing abroad and shit. And um, one year at Rucker, I fucking got a MVP of Rucker. I was killing. I was averaging like 30 that summer. And the team that I played against in the playoffs, they brought Ron Artest. They bring Ron, and he was defensive player of the year for Indiana. And I finished that game with 26. I got MVP of Rucker at that game. That changed my mind mentally. Ron Artest. Ron Artest, Indiana Pacers. Not better. I was, gonna, I was gonna say like you giving down like the water water down version like you gotta let you gotta let, give the audience that real deal that real shit yeah. like you gotta let yeah, yeah, like, you, and you, and you gotta go you gotta go back that's the that's the rucker part of so you gotta talk about the whole summer yeah, yeah the whole so, the, the summer of homicide summer you gotta talk about the whole nah, summer that was with the, the next summer that was the next okay, summer okay 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 my bad my bad my bad my bad my bad I fucked up so so um. That summer when I played against Ron, I didn't know he was coming to the park. He just appeared. I was like, oh, shit. All right, nigga. Well, you you killing everybody. Don't matter if you're killing average street ball players. You're supposed to. You know what I'm saying? You want to get to the league. Well, motherfucker, prove it. Prove it you are worthy of even stepping foot on a court in the NBA. This is the defensive player of the league. He is New York City. Yeah. Okay. He don't get no tougher than Ron Artest. Yeah. Right. So during this game, he blocked my shot. He stole it from me. He's a defensive player. Yeah, this was the hardest fucking a matchup in my life. Yeah. Why are he strong? You know what I mean? And get that shit out of here. I said, motherfucker, I'm coming right back. <laughs> Came back right after that, ripped through. Left hand scored. I was like, all right, I could score on him. Like, these are phases in my head. Yeah. Like, these are things in my head. As the game is playing, I'm saying to myself, all right, I could score on him. 
every fucking play I made, it was it had to be precise because he was right there. If I made the layup, like he just missed it, I couldn't do no like none of this shit. He'd have blocked it. So I ended up, you know, the double team started to come. It shocked the shit out of me. We end up losing my two points, but nobody gives a fuck. I don't care about wins or losses yeah, 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 yeah. In, in in street ball. It's street ball. You know, only only street ball legends care about that. Like street street hood hood props, motherfuckers care about that. I needed that platform to show I could put up numbers to get exposure with these crazy numbers I'm putting up. You know, I can tell you right now who won the most rings in the NBA, Bill mm-hmm. Russell. Mm-hmm. Who got the most championships in street ball? Nobody fucking knows because nobody cares. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they'll tell you the story about the motherfucker that had 50 against you know who. That's the legendary stories that live on. So that's what I knew I was chasing. You know, for example, dudes got so much talent and so nice, they'd rather team up and say, yo, I played with Ron Artest at Rucker. Fuck that. I played against him and gave him 26 and got MVP. If you're playing with them, what you got to do in the game? You got to give him the fucking ball. What I want to give him the ball for? I'm trying to show what I can do. <laughs> so I knew how to align myself with certain teammates where I knew I could James Harden the shit. <laughs> so if you are a big name and you're a big name with all the props and you a guard and you come into the park, and you come into my world. I don't give a fuck what you do in the league. I'm going to get the ball just as much as you. I'm going to shoot the ball just as much as you. I'm not coming out the game. <laughs> Nigga, I'm finishing with 30, if nothing else. <laughs> if nothing else, I'm shooting with 30. <laughs> There's no coach that's going to be like, yo, you turn the ball over, come out. Nah, we on even turf. <laughs> you know, so that's why those matchups were always more favorable to me. So after that game, um, that it was it – was, uh, uh, I went overseas. I forgot what country I went to. But then I came back, and they usually put out Slam, the streetball edition, which is the summer edition. And they talk about streetball players, blah, blah, blah. My name wasn't in the magazine. I said, yo, I just gave Ron Artest the defensive player of the year, and these motherfuckers still ain't fucking. You still talking about these same regular motherfuckers? I said, all right, motherfucker, it's on. That became the summer homicide. I averaged 40 everywhere. The first game at Rucker Park, J.R. Smith, Dante Jones, Kenny Satterfield, Big Strick, God bless the dead, Ali Moe, God bless the dead. 47. That's the shot that put everybody on notice. That's how that Toronto Raptors assistant coach Jim Todd came to see me after that because that was on yeah. NBA TV. Yeah. So motherfuckers was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yo, 47? Threes, dunks, layups. J.R. Smith on one wing, Dante Jones on another. The whole beef was me against Ali Moe, but Ali Moe had three fouls in like four minutes, the first four minutes. So he had to sit yeah. down and watch. Yeah. Now I got NBA legitimate players on me. 47. After that, that shit just set the whole summer notice. Pro City, because you got the bougie pros who don't play at Rucker. They be like, I don't play up there. I play doing in Pro City. Average 40 that summer in Pro City. 
We lost in the chip the Nike one. I averaged 40. MVP at Pro City. They dubbed the whole summer. That's when the New York Post would do write-ups. The summer of homicide. That's crazy. That's crazy. Then That's crazy. Jim Todd came, who was this was the this was the game changing summer. Jim Todd came, who was assistant at Toronto at the time, and uh called me. How he got in touch with me was because a mentor of mine who I met months prior. I went back on the I had I went to China, I got injured. Mm-hmm. Had to have surgery, came back, went to Venezuela and finished in Venezuela, came home, and uh, maybe a month, a month earlier, I went on a tour to China, which was just like a a one-week tour. You know, you play a bunch of games, whatever, whatever. We played against the national team minus Yao Ming. This guy's name was Tony Parker. Not Tony Parker that's in in the league, Tony Parker, but another man named Tony Parker from Chicago. Um, I told him my story. He was like, yo, you can play in the NBA. Never heard that before. That was like a motherfucker telling Precious she a bad bitch. Never heard it before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're a model. You can, you can, you can walk on the runway for, you know, Victoria's Secret. This is basically telling a dude who never heard nothing like this. So it was foreign. But I was like, damn, like, he really believes in me. I need help. So I told him my story in China. He said, look, I will not promise you anything but let's just keep in touch. He had friends in high places and he had a friend for 15 plus years told him, if you ever see a player that you have who you believe can play in the league, I'll give him a look. He never used that favor 15 years. But for me, he called his man who we called Jim Todd. This is a bad motherfucker. Here's the proof in the pudding. Showed him the NBA TV footage of that game. Jim Todd, here's the difference. Because again, we all know a lot of street ball players can't play pro. Yeah. Two different games. We know this. Jim Todd, and there was a stigma with street ball players. Jim Todd coached at Columbia University. He's from Boston, but he lived in New York for a while. So he understood the culture of New York City playground basketball. He didn't look at me or think, oh, he's just a streetball player and won all those fucking stupid ass tricks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It wasn't that. He understood the culture. He calls me one day. Hey, Amasai, how you doing, man? What you got going on today? One morning. I say, hey, coach, how you doing? I just woke up. Hey, coach, how you doing? I say, I'm good, man. Where you play at today? He said, you got a game? I said, yeah. He said, uh, where at? He said, I said, he said, you play at uh, Pro City? I was like, nah. He said, you at Rucker? I said, nah. He said, where you at? I said, I got a game at Dykeman. He said, what time? He said, seven. He said, all right, I'll see you later. I'm in Jersey out of camp, but I'll see you later. I said, all right. So I hung up, act like, you know, nonchalant, you know. It's a fork in the road. All your life, what you say? Yeah. What you say all your life, been overlooked. Nobody fucked with you. An NBA coach is coming to watch you play. That's crazy. In the playground. It's not <laughs> like you're crazy, going man. to an NBA venue that could be foreign, the rims are different, the ball's a bit different. You could be nervous. The first time going to an NBA arena. They come into the playground, your house. 
crazy. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want the energy to shift. I looked into myself in the mirror. I got up and I said, look, two things could happen. You could man up or you could bitch up. You could do everything you have to do and show. Because if it don't work out, it can't be because of me. I fucked it up. Or you could bitch up and live a regret for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've been listening to this story, which I know you have, the first time I fucked up was a couple summers ago when that Sid Jones coach yeah. came to the game and I laid an egg. So life's experience is the best teacher. You had an opportunity and you laid an egg. Learn from that. So the next time you get a real opportunity, you be locked in more and mentally prepared. He came. And our coaches, and you know, them assistant coaches come. They come with a polo shirt, golf shorts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had the gate indictment. That year they drafted Charlie Villanueva. I'm playing against the first place team. This the summer homicide. Doubles come immediately. I know God was with me because no double came in the first half. I had 25 at half. They gave me a standing ovation at, at halftime. And I ended the half with a dunk. I said, second half came out, the doubles came. What do I do immediately? I finished with only 29 points, and I had 25 at half. What did I do immediately when the doubles came? Kick it to the open man. Mm -hmm. I understand the game I'm playing and where I'm trying to go, that I would be a 15th man on the roster if I make a team in the league. If it were to go that far, I understand I'd be a 2020 player. You know what that means? Motherfucker, you in the game when you up 20 or down 20. That's yeah, it. That's it. So if you're ahead of the game and you understand that, your decision-making will be better. A smart person, kick it to the open man, kick it. I don't give a fuck if he don't make that shot. Show that coach you got the ability to recognize where the open man is on the court. You can penetrate and kick. Ray for Austin was up there at the time. Shout out to Skip. Ray mm -hmm. for smaller than me. Ray for might be six foot. Slim. I'm 220. Six three. The lanes are open in the league. There's no guard stopping me from getting where I want to go on a basketball mm -hmm. court. Too little. I'm durable. I could take these hits. Chris Bosch, short corner. Jalen Rose stretching it. Mo Pete stretching it. As long as I can get to where I got to go, I'm going to draw the defense in. And you kick it to the open man. Pick up full court. That's all you got to do. Don't turn the ball over. Mm -hmm. Why are you on the court? That is my job if I make an NBA team. What happens? After that game, he says to me, you know what impressed me most? Not the 25 at half. Your ability to find the open man when the doubles came. Good game. I'll be in touch. I said, thanks, coach. He left. Nobody else knew, but the commissioner, Kenny, Kenny knew, and that was it. And I went home, and, it, 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 you know, we stayed in touch, and I got the shot to Toronto Vet Camp off of that. That's how I got to the Raptors. I also signed the sneaker deal with uh, K1X, the German-based sneaker company, right? So when I say I signed the sneaker deal, they made the 187s, the police codes, the homicides for me which is sold in Foot Locker Global. Now let's talk about endorsement opportunities. 
What player not in the NBA had their own shoe and foot locker? Nobody. Nobody. So now I got my own sneaker pack in foot locker. What a sneaker pack is t-shirt, shorts, sneakers. Fucking incredible. Off of playground basketball. I won one-on-one tournaments. I did all of that shit. There ain't nothing I ain't done with this game than have a matching NBA bank account salary. There ain't nothing I ain't done. I played 14 years. I played all over the world. I've had three sneaker deals. I've been with Brand Jordan as well. I got MVP of a league bowling in my own shoe in the NBL. Won the G League championship starting point guard. I did the whole circuit. After I get waived from Toronto, I go to the minor league. I go to the CBA. Leaded in triple doubles. Ended up going to Boston for minicamp. I go to Indiana for summer league. Politics game. They play you when they play you. You know how that goes. They don't put you in. They don't fucking put you in. Whatever. Cool. Go to Denver. At this point, I'm living in Denver. I got married and moved to Denver. I'm in the gym every day. George Carl loved me. I'm in there going against Andre Miller. Fucking this when Melo was there. This when they had the crew. DJ, DeMar Johnson, fucking JR comes the next year. Can be all these mm-hmm. motherfuckers, right? Chauncey from Denver. You know, so I'm going, I got the same mentality. I'm going in these gyms, and now I'm comfortable in the gym because I'm in there every day. I played my way into training camp in the vet camp with Denver. Because I'm in the gym going hard. You know what I mean? Mind you, now I got my first shot at 27 with Toronto. Now I'm 28. I get there. I get waived. Cool. No problem. Go to the D League. The D League at the time. Not G League. Mm-hmm. Dakota Wizards. Starting point guard. We win the championship. Go to Summer League with Golden State. The whole circuit, right? Go to Summer League with Golden State. This is the shit people don't understand and know if you are not you know, been in them circles. Coach tells us, Keith Smart was the coach at the time before we played the first summer league game. Hey, guys, how you doing? We have breakfast. Um, just want to let you know we got to get our guys in. Our guys got to play. When there's an opportunity to get you guys in, they get you in. They'll tell your agent, whatever they got to tell your agent to get you there on the team. Yeah, but then yeah. when you're there, whole another story. For not everybody, but it was for me. So then he goes and says, Look, just want to let you guys know, if we don't get you in, we'll get you in when we can. I'm telling you now, do not have your agent call us if you did not play. Because if your agent call us, we're sending you home. So that just means, yo, listen, here's what's going to happen. Whatever the fuck we're going to do, we're going to do to you, and that's it. Just take it. So I sit the bench and go to stay. Cool, no problem. Now I'm about, what, 30. Now I got to go make some money. Because I've been doing the circuit, and it's a drug. The NBA is a drug, okay? Right. You get a shot of that shit, whoo! That's the illest Keep high ever. Keep that's the illest me. high ever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, and, if you, and if you're not careful, you'll be stuck on that, on that, on that carousel trying to get there. That's just D-League, 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 D-League. 10 days, 
You think you got like ten, five more years in the D League? I understood where I was at. I was eating garbage prior to getting the opportunity to Toronto, to Toronto, right? So what my resume looked like, nothing. I ain't making no real money. I ain't playing no respectable places to, to, to demand money, to demand a good agent, to demand good opportunities. However, after I get away from Toronto, what the resume looked like, NBA camp, mm-hmm. minor league, NBA summer league, NBA camp, minor league. NBA Summer League. Now all the teams overseas are looking at you like you were just on the cusp of making it. So now you're going to get a better agent. You're going to get better opportunity. You're going to get better money. That's what happened. I was making money in street ball because I had these endorsement deals. They were paying me. And I was getting royalties off my line. You understand what I'm saying? So when you have more pots... I diversified myself. It wasn't like, fuck, I'm just struggling off this D-League money. Yo, listen, like, if you were elite playground basketball, I'm in commercials. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of shit I had going on. So I was good. Now I got a better agent. I go to NBL. Now I'm in Australia. Played Australia four consecutive seasons. Very rare an import stays in one country for four consecutive seasons let alone one team for three consecutive years. I built a fan base. I built camaraderie. You know, I got the, the, I was like, I called myself like Westbrook before Westbrook. Coming through crazy. That's when I had the Mohawk designs. We coming fresh. We talking shit. We going to tell you what we going to do to you before we play you. We going to do it. And then we leave. And then we on to the next one. I ended up my third season getting MVP of the league, which that just stamps you. You know, when the Australia season is short, so when I was finishing there, I would go play elsewhere. I played with Sabona on the EuroLeague team in Croatia. I was going to Puerto Rico right after. You know, my hustle did not stop. Didn't stop. I was maximizing the window of opportunity because once it closes, that's it. And you never really know when it closes. Due to the fact that I'm able to talk a lot, some people find me entertaining. Some people find me captivating. Some people feel what I'm saying. Some people think I'm talking a lot of shit. Either way, you listen it. Right? I'm giving you a firsthand experience because the path that I took ain't a regular path. But I go to Middle East after I leave Australia after four seasons. I come back, visit a friend in Australia. NBL is under a new regime. Complete new ownership. They see me on social media in Australia. Homicide, you out here. Fuck you doing Australia because it's so far. Nobody just comes. It's not like, you know, you're going to fucking Cali. You know what I mean? Like, you know, (laughs) what the fuck are you doing in Australia? I said, listen, I'm just working out, visiting a friend. I was in between my contract for Lebanon. I was just basically waiting on my deal, working out here, visiting my boy. I get my contract get my ticket. I go Melbourne to Beirut. We back in motion. Said, look, owner of the NBA, I want to talk to you. GML, rather. I said, okay, what do you want to talk to me for? I said, I don't know. I think it's a good idea for him to, you know, for you to talk. Talk on one I said, okay, fair enough. Calls me. Homicide, how you doing? I just want to get right to it. 
want you to broadcast. We want you to be a commentator for the NBL. I said, I ain't no commentator. I said, we don't care. I said, I still play. We don't care. I said, I'm leaving here in like three weeks. I'm just waiting on my deal, working out. I'm just passing through. We don't care. We want you on air as long as we can have you here while you're here. So when you're going for a job interview, like most people, a lot of people aren't in a position to ask certain questions for fear of fucking up their opportunity uh, for the job. Uh, yeah. But when you're in demand, you can ask certain shit. Why you want me so bad? There's other imports that have been successful here. There's guys, imports that live in Australia. Won championships, all of that. Why me? We haven't had anybody like you since you left here. People love your energy. People love you. Light bulb. 38. My goal was to stop at 40. That was my goal while I was well en route to doing that. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot. You've had success in this country. You have a fan base here. People fuck with you here. It's a beautiful country to be in. They speak English. It's stable. You did well in this country. And your rep is clean. Just try this thing out. Mm -hmm. Talk anyway. You can articulate yourself well enough to talk about the game. Just try it. Opportunities like this don't fall in our laps. We play international ball. Right. So I tried it. And I said to myself, lock in and focus hard. I had a rapport in Lebanon. I played there five seasons. Team hit me. I said, look, I'm up to something. Go grab another import. He don't work out down the road. Holler at me. It was October 2015. I said to my boy, he was my best friend at the time. I said, look here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to go hard with it. I ain't going to be out here, you know, uh, having a good time in the nightlife with, you know, females. I'm going to lock in and focus because this can potentially be a long-term opportunity if I do it right. And I'm going to do it right. I studied the players. I had notes. Just like every game, you break down film after each time I do it. This is the first time I'm doing it live. Mm -hmm. Need to get comfortable. Got to know your shit. You got to know what you know. All right. They asked me, do you think you can see yourself doing this? Would you consider doing this long term? I said, yeah, if the package is right. I could consider mm -hmm. myself doing this because obviously I would have to move to a whole nother country. You know, you just relocate completely and retire. After that season, I stretched it for a season. I was supposed to be there for three weeks. I said, if you give me two games a week and pay me X amount of dollars for two games a week, I'll do this. I stretched it from three weeks 
to four months. I pretty much did their season. It's a short season. Why would I do that? Get more experience. Mm-hmm. It's my rookie season. You would one could easily consider it like an internship, mm-hmm. right? People go to school for this shit. February comes around. I got better. My team calls me in Lebanon. Perfect. I showed enough potential for you to bring me back at some point. And even if you didn't, I gave it my all. I went and got one chick. I got one woman I got with at the time. Mm-hmm. What does that do? Keeps me focused. I ain't out here gallivanting, looking for it. I passed that. At some point, you have to know and realize where you are at as an individual and prioritize. See where you want to be and do your best to make that happen. Mm-hmm. That's what I was able to do. I left after that. I went to Lebanon. The next season, my mother got sick. I couldn't go anywhere anyway. And the season after that, they uh, they offered me a full-time deal. And I told myself, I'm going to knock it out the park. And I'm going to get me a long-term deal. After that contract, I signed a two-year extension. And I'm at the end of my extension right now. And I told myself, after those two years, I'm going to knock it out the park. And I'm going to get a long-term deal. And that's where I'm at right now. So my deal finished. And um, I had my meeting about, I'll say, uh, six weeks ago. Yeah. And... I'm here for as long as I want to be here. That exclusive? <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I what I what I want to say is these are the lessons now we get into with this thing. Fact. One, you have to always carry yourself as a professional on and off the court. We are all brands, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. When you wake up to when you fall asleep. What you do that day will either strengthen or weaken your own individual brand. Mm -hmm. You will have done things in your life four years ago that may help you five years later without you even knowing. You can't be in these countries wilding out, doing stupid shit. If you were in the NBA, would you do these things? You treat it as such. This is your NBA. This is our NBA. Understand where you are as an individual, where you want to go. Write your goals down. What is your end game? This ain't no fucking career. This is a job. You get 401k for this shit? Any deal you sign for a full year, I don't care what it says. You're month to month. You know it as well as I do. Plenty of motherfuckers get fired and don't get the money. Why go to countries where you don't fit the style of play? You're setting yourself up to lose. Why? I'm not a European type of player. I played in Europe and I failed. Why? I'm this way. Europe is this half court, passing around, play 20 minutes, might average 10. I don't shoot threes. Why am I going to a league where it goes like this? Mm -hmm. Understand countries. Understand your agent. Make sure he understands you and has his best interests in with you. This is education guys don't know. How would they know? They ain't on the, from that side of the world. They don't know what league is what. 
motherfuckers hear Europe and just think, oh, the sensationalism of it. Nigga, you practicing twice a day. Yeah. You're tired. You are tired. Hoping you get paid. Everybody's not going to be like, you know, you're blessed in being in incredible situations where, mm -hmm. you know, you're playing under some of the best clubs in the world. God bless you. Stack your chips. Take care of your family. You know why? Because the rainy day, one day it could abruptly end. You want this run to go. You run the scoreboard up. Because when it's done, you got to make sure you got your chips right and you're in a position to where the transition is easier for you. Your kids ain't starting on second base. You understand what I'm saying? I started in the dungeon. Mm -hmm. We black men out here. We see what's going on in the world. This is real. How are you? What are you doing right now to benefit yourself later down the road? That's what it is. We are in a situation where it's so crazy right now. We ain't never been in nothing like this before. Right. How are you preparing when this is over to be better? What are you doing? Those are the type of questions I ask myself every day, the decisions that I make. Can my mother look at herself and say, that's my son right there? Mm -hmm. Can my daughter say, that's my dad right there? Can my wife say, that's my husband right there? They can't say that the decision that I'm going to make is not the right decision. That's what I'm on. That's what I'm on, B. It's four phases of human involvement. Mm -hmm. Identify what you're good at. Identify your profession, what you want to do, your talent. Be a pro at it. Flourish in that lane and send the elevator down. Ultimately, that'll, that'll just tell your legacy right there. Everybody ain't going to get that. But this is real shit. Yeah, these are gems right here, man. This is, this is straight gems, <laughs> straight gems, man. It's straight gems. Gem. You you taking you taking us to school this whole entire uh, this you. whole entire episode, man. Like you, I told you, you I'm coming with some real shit. You yeah, know? man. I, yeah. Again, everything a ball player would want to do, I done did. Yeah. I just don't have an NBA account. Yeah. Had billboards all over the world. I've been on covers of magazines. I'm just about to be on another cover. It's going to drop in about a month. And we ain't talking hoop. We talking mindset on it. Mindset. That's a whole nother lane. I've been on fashion magazine covers in the Middle East, Dubai, Paris. I done did all of that. I've had three sneaker deals with three different companies. Come on, man. And now I talk for a living. I couldn't do this right now in America. Why? My body of work as a professional athlete is not in America. So why, how could I add value? You didn't play in the league. You were in a star in the league. You didn't win in the league. You didn't win MVP in the league. You didn't do anything to why a TNT or ESPN would want to grab you. Yeah. That's why you got the Jalen Roses and great for them. They did their thing on, on U.S. soil. You know what I'm saying? But could they relate to what the fuck is going on over here? They don't know international hoops. 3X3 just came out. 3X3, I'm supposed to be in Japan right now, just like a lot of people for the Olympics. I'm one of the analysts for 3X3 now. 3X3 is an Olympic sport. Mm -hmm. 3X3 is a cross between street and pro. These are all facts. This ain't me, blah, 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 
This is facts. Yeah. Slam Magazine just came out last year with a magazine that said one of the top 60 New York City basketball players ever. Complex dropped a couple years ago. Top 25 greatest street ball players of all time. ESPN dropped top 24 Rucker Park legends. I'm not making this up. These are legitimate publications. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? All from a dude that was in a dorm and said, well, I guess I'm going to have to just go, go play pro from here. Ain't shit you can't do. Can't nobody tell me you can't do nothing. Yeah. It's mindset. Run your own race, Pete. Don't fight. Don't follow nobody else. Run your own race. Well, I want you to touch on the. Uh, I see your hoodie, the uh, the Wolf brand. I know that's something that you're proud of. Yeah, um, man. Shout out the, the the patient wolf. You know yeah. what the wolf is. You know we are all wolves. A wolf is an ambitious individual going hard for their dreams until it come to fruition. We know plenty of people that go hard and it didn't happen. They ain't no fucking wolf. A wolf make it happen by any means. So, That's what it is, you know? So, yeah, um, I'm very passionate about everything I do and, you know, just, just ensuring that, you know, my daughter ain't starting on no fucking in the basement, B. Because all we got is our legacy. We doing what we love to do, bro. Yeah, we doing what we love to do. Our shit is in motion. When it's all said and done, what will they say about you? Right. When you ain't here, what the fuck you got left? How do you feel about the growth of the NBA? Like, you know, we got Lamelo, RJ Hampton, you know, all these guys coming over, these big name guys coming over and playing and stuff like that. How do you feel about the growth and, and where you see the NBA going in the future? I think it's incredible. I think that, um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of talent everywhere in the world, you know, so especially for this league, it's so far, people don't really know, but um, they've done a great job marketing it. They've done a, they've done a great job aligning themselves with uh, the NBA. You know, this league now has nine teams, but, you know, a couple of years ago, it was just eight teams and two years out of the last three years, they took five of the eight teams to play preseason games in NBA. Mm-hmm. What league does that? What league can take five of eight teams to the NBA and play multiple games? That's incredible in itself. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's tough. This shit is tough. I've seen plenty of guys come over with big resumes and just wasn't able to do well in the league. So that just validates the league even more. And respectable leagues in Europe, when the NBL is done, they grabbing the imports here and taking them. That never happened before. Guys are going to fucking Russia. Guys are going to fucking Spain. You know what I'm saying? Guys is going to Italy. Like, guys are going to big, big teams. You know what I'm saying? Like, Cam Oliver right now, I think he's a rookie. No, this is his second year out. He did well in Kansas here. Signed with a team to finish up in Israel. He just finished up. Now Maccabi going to sign him. When the, nah. How does that happen? But not, but not only the imports, though, but actually the, the Australian players. Like, there was a time before, like, you would never see, you know, Australian player. And now, like, the, the Euro League, the Euro League, NBA, like, it's full of them now. So it was like, you know, you got one of my favorite players to watch, uh, Mitch, was it Mitchell Creek? Um, yeah, Mitch Creek. 
Mitch Creek, he's one of my kids. I mean, he's a he's a bruiser, a banger. I mean, he was over yep. in Europe, he played in the league. Um, you got Joe Ingles, you got Brock Bodum, yep. you got all these yep. different players. Our guy, uh, um, Jock Landau. Um, Jock Landau. Um, yeah. Nate, Nate Love. What's Nate Jawai. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. big, big motherfucker, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's how you actually, I, I feel that's how you rate a domestic league based on the local players. The strength of the locals are determined because imports are going to be imports. You're going to pay for the talent, right? Yeah. But the league strength will always rely on the locals. As you know, you could, I don't care how good you and two other imports are. If your locals ain't popping, you ain't yeah. going to win. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to win. So, um, yeah, man, uh, the Australian, the Australian, I had a last year, I covered the World Cup. Yeah. And um, Team USA came here, Australia played, New Zealand played, Canada played. And I'm at an incredible opportunity to, uh, you know, do interviews and halftime, full-time, pregame, you know, Q&A and all of that stuff. Sideline, I was a sideline reporter for it. And um, to, to see the Boomers national team, like, they didn't even medal and they're ranked third in the world still. Yeah. That's the strength of Australian basketball without Ben Simmons. Like, Patty Mills is a dog. I didn't even know he was that that nice. But, he, you know, he's legit. But, yeah, man, Australian basketball is definitely on the rise. And um, it's just a great um, feeling to be in the midst of the hype yeah. of the country playing their best basketball. Like, just to be in the mix and the league being the best and the strongest and the global respect, and for me to be playing the role that I'm playing, it's just, it's just a incredible feeling. It's a grateful, it's a grateful feeling, and a humbling feeling. Now, last question before we let you go. Um, you just mentioned that you know that you're there in Australia and you're there during the kind of the rise of Australian basketball. Um, what do you see your future as far as uh, in this media game? Um, you know, you you've been the person like you know you talked about earlier that you always got a plan, you always got a list. So, you know, kind of break down, like, what do you feel like your future is, um, you know, this media, <laughs> this media game going on? So, so uh, ultimately, I know that this is my third season doing it. Um, I, I, I want to be in America doing this. I think I want maybe like four more years here, three mm -hmm. to four more years here. Uh, if it's, it would either be doing this in America because then I would have the international experience and the respect coming from a respected league to go over and do it. Yeah. Or I would love to, ultimately, I think I would love to be an NBA scout. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that would be my dream job. Mm -hmm. Like a, like a, yeah, like an NBA scout. Because right, I, love I love the game. I love yeah. talent. I can I know what a diamond in the rough look like. Facts. So uh I think I really want Melo to go number one for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> we all yeah, we all know that you you the you the biggest proponent. You and you seen it a long time ago. You seen it a bit ago with after his first game. See, ultimately, that's what I wanna do because I didn't believe the hype. I wanna end it on that note, right? I didn't yeah. believe the hype, you know, as a New Yorker. 
you know, we, we're the type of people like, I don't care what you say. I need to see with my own eyes. I don't care what you say. I don't care about the Drew League. Much respect to the Drew. Like, you can show me highlights of dudes that can't even really play D and he's doing a good move. Like, I don't respect it. I need to see it with my own two eyes. So he came here, he and RJ, I drilled them. I gave them the business the first interview. Gave them the business. And the first game he played, they played against, uh, I call him the Australian Patrick Beverly, right? Six times. Mm-hmm.